section twelve of the cathedral by jory karl heismans translated by clara bell this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twelve this church symbolism this psychology of the cathedral this study of the soul of the sanctuary so entirely overlooked since medieval times by those professors of monumental physiology called archaeologists and architects so much interested durtal that he was able by its help to forget for some hours the turmoil and struggles of his soul but the moment he ceased to ponder on the inner sense of things seen he was as bad as ever the sort of requisition he had laid before the abbe gevresin to put an end to his tossing and decide for him one way or the other was distracting while it terrified him the cloister he must reflect a long time before making up his mind to imprison himself and the pros and cons tormented him in endless alternation here i am just where i was before i set out for la trappe said he to himself and the decision to be taken is even more serious for notre dame de latre was but a temporary refuge i knew when i went there that i should not stay it was a painful time to be endured but it was only a short time whereas at this moment i have to come to a determination from which there is no turning back to go to a place where if i once shut myself in i must stay till i die it is imprisonment for life with no mitigation of the penalty no pardon and release and the abbe talks as if it were the simplest thing what am i to do renounce all freedom be nothing but a machine a chattel in the hands of a man i do not know god knows i am willing but there are other and more pressing questions from my point of view in the first place this matter of literature to write no more to give up what has been the occupation and aim of my life that would be painful still it is a sacrifice i could make but to write and then see my language stripped and washed in pump water all the colour taken out by another man who may be a learned man or a saint but have no more idea of art than st john of the cross that is too hard that one's ideas should be picked over and weeded from the theological point of view i quite understand nothing could be more just but one's style and in a monastery so far as i can learn nothing is printed till the prior has read it and he has the right to revise everything alter it suppress it if he chooses it would evidently be better not to write at all but this again is not a matter of choice since under the rule of obedience each one must submit to orders and treat of any subject in any way the abbot commands and unless the master were very exceptional what a stone of stumbling and then besides this which is to me the most important question of all there are others worth considering from the little i have been told by my two priests the blessed silence of the cistercians is not the rule with the black-frocked orders now however perfect these cenobites may be they remain none the less men or to express it otherwise sympathy and antipathy live in constant and compulsory friction with very restricted subjects of discussion living in complete ignorance of all that is going on outside conversation must degenerate into chatter at last the only interest of life centres in trivialities in petty questions which in such an atmosphere assume the importance of events a man becomes an old maid and how infinitely wearisome must this talk be unvaried by the unforeseen finally there is the question of health in the convent nothing but stews and salads a disordered stomach before long broken sleep crushing fatigue in an ill-treated frame ah all that is neither attractive nor amusing who knows whether after a few months of this mental and physical rule i should not have sunk into bottomless dejection 
whether the sloth of those monastic jails would not have crushed me and left me absolutely incapable of thought or action and he concluded it is madness to think of a cloistered life i should do better to remain at chartres but hardly had he made up his mind not to move when the reverse of the medal forced itself upon him a convent why it was the only logical existence the only right life all these fears he suggested to himself were imaginary in the first place as to his health had he forgotten la trappe where the food was far more innutritious and the rule far stricter why be alarmed beforehand and on the other hand could he fail to perceive the need for conversation the wisdom of speech relieving the solitude of the cloister just when weariness might supervene it was a remedy against constant introspection and exercise taken with others secured health to the soul and gave tone to the body and as for saying that these monastic dialogues would be trivial were the conversations he might hear in any other society more edifying in short was not the company of the brethren far superior to that of men of any profession condition or sort whom he would be obliged to meet in the world outside and what after all were these trifles these minor details in the splendid completeness of the cloister what were these petty matters mere nothings in the scale as against peace the cheerfulness of the soul in the joy of the services and the fulfilment of the task of praise would not the tide of worship cleanse everything and wash away the small defects of men like straws in a stream was it not the case of the moat and the beam with the parts reversed imperfections discerned in others when he was so far their inferior constantly at the end of every argument i find my own lack of humility said he to himself what efforts are needed to remove the mire of my sins in a convent perhaps i might rub the rust off and he dreamed of a purer life a soul soaked in prayer expanding in communion with christ who might perhaps without too much soiling himself come down to dwell in him it is the only life desirable cried he it is settled but then like a douche of cold water a reflection overwhelmed him it would in any case be the life in common school life which would begin again for him it would be the garrison rule of a convent this floored him then he tried to fight against it and lost patience come come he growled a man does not shut himself up in an abbey to take his ease there a convent is not a pious saint perrine he retires there i suppose to expiate his sins and prepare for death what then is the use of expatiating on the kind of punishments to be endured a determination to accept them is all to endure them and be strong did he then sincerely long for suffering and penance he dared not answer himself in the depth of his soul a hesitating yes rose up smothered at once by the clamour of cowardice and fear why then go he was only bewildering himself and when the worst of this turmoil was over he thought of a respite or of some half measure some mild mortification quite endurable some repentance so slight as to be none at all i am an idiot he concluded i am fighting with the air i am puzzling myself with words about habits of which i have no knowledge the first thing to be done is to visit some benedictine monastery nay several to compare them and to see for myself what the life is that is led there then the matter as to the oblates must be cleared up if the abbe plon is well informed their fate depends on the caprice of the abbot who can tighten or loosen the halter according to his more or less domineering character but is that quite certain there were always oblates throughout the middle ages consequently they are controlled by the secular law 
and all this is so human so vile for it is not a matter of disputing texts and more or less accommodating clauses it is a case of subjection without reserve of leaping boldly into the water of giving oneself up entirely to god any other view of the cloister is to regard it as a citizen's home and that is absurd my apprehensions my antagonism my compromises are disgraceful yes but where can i find the necessary strength to brush myself clean from this dust of the soul and at last when he felt himself bruised by these alternating desires and fears he took refuge with notre dame de Souterre. the crypt was closed in the afternoon but he found his way in by a small door in the sacristy inside the cathedral and descended into utter darkness having reached the crypt in front of the altar he found once more the doubtful but soothing odour of that vault smoked by burning tapers and went forward in the soft warm atmosphere of frankincense and a cellar it was even darker than in the early morning for the lamps were out floating wicks only shining through what looked like very thin orange peel through gleams of tarnished gold on the sooty walls as he turned with his back to the altar he could see the low aisle in retreating perspective and at the end as in a tunnel the light of day unluckily for it allowed him to discern certain hideous paintings of scenes commemorating the ecclesiastical glories of chartres the visit paid to the cathedral by mary de medici and henri quatre louis treize and his mother monsieur rollier offering to the virgin the keys of the seminary of saint sulpice with a dress of gold brocade louis XIV at the feet of notre dame de Souterre. by the grace of heaven the remaining frescoes seemed extinct at any rate they lay in shadow what was really blissful was to be alone with the virgin who looked down her dark face gleaming dimly in the gloom when a wick happened to flicker with short flashes of brighter light durtal kneeling before her determined to address her to say to her i am afraid of the future and of its cloudy sky and i am afraid of myself for i am wasting in depression and bewilderment thou hast hitherto led me by the hand do not desert me finish thy work i know that it is folly thus to take care for the future for thy son has said sufficient to the day is the evil thereof still that depends on temperament what is easy to some is so hard for others mine is a restless spirit always astir always on the alert do what i will it wanders feeling its way about the world and gets lost bring it home keep it near thee in a leash kind mother and after so much weariness grant me to find rest oh to be no longer thus torn in sunder to be of one mind oh to have a soul so quenched that it should know no sorrows no joys but those of the liturgy that it might only be claimed day by day by jesus or by thee and follow your lives as they are unfolded in the annual cycle of the church services to rejoice at the nativity to laugh on palm sunday to weep in holy week and be indifferent to all else to cease to hold oneself as of any account to care not at all for one's individual self what a dream how easy it then would be to take refuge in a cloister but is this possible to any but a saint what a stripping of the soul it presupposes what an emptying out of every profane idea of every earthly image what a taming of the subjugated imagination never venturing forth but on one track instead of wandering haphazard as mine does and yet how foolish is every other care for all that does not tend to heaven is vain on earth ay but as soon as i try to put these thoughts into practice my jade of a soul plunges and rears do what i will it only bucks and makes no advance 
alas blessed virgin i do not seek to excuse myself and my sins and still i dare confess to thee that it is discouraging heart-breaking to understand nothing and see nothing is this chartres where i am vegetating a waiting-place a halting-place between two monasteries a bridge leading from notre dame de l'atre to solem or some other abbey or is it on the contrary the final stage where it is thy will that i should remain fixed but then my life has no further meaning it is purposeless built and overthrown with the shifting of sands to what end if this be the case are these monastic yearnings these calls to another life this all but conviction that i have stopped at a station and am not yet at the place whither i am to travel if only it might be now as on other occasions when i have felt thee near me when in response to my questions thou hast answered me if only it might be here as at la trappe much as i suffered there but no i hear thee not thou dost not heed me durtal was silent then he went on i am wrong to address thee thus he said thou dost not carry us in thine arms unless we be unable to walk thou hast care and caresses for the poor soul born anew by conversion but when it can stand it is set down on the ground and thou lookest on while it makes trial of its strength this is meet and right but it does alter the fact that the memory of those celestial alleviations those first lost joys is crushing to the soul o holy virgin holy virgin have pity on the rickety souls that struggle on so painfully when they are no longer upheld by thee have pity on the bruised souls to whom every effort is painful on the souls whom nothing can console to whom everything is affliction take pity on the homeless outcast souls the wandering souls unable to settle and dwell with their kind the tender budding souls take pity on all souls such as mine have pity on me and before quitting the mother he would often visit her in those depths where since the middle ages the faithful no longer seek her he would light an end of taper and turning aside from the nave of the crypt follow the curved line of the wall along the entrance passage as far as the sacristy of this underground church where in the ponderous stonework was a door strengthened with ironwork through and down a little flight of steps he reached a cellar which was the ancient martyrium where of old in time of war the ciborium was concealed an altar stood in the middle of this well dedicated in the name of saint lubin in the crypt the distant hum of the bells the sounds of life in the cathedral above could still be heard here nothing it was like being in the tomb unfortunately some squalid square columns whitened with lime wash built on the altar to give support to bridon's group in the choir above spoilt the barbaric simplicity of this oubliette forgotten lost in the night of ages and underground he went up again comforted nevertheless accusing himself of ingratitude and asking himself how he could dream of leaving chartres and going away from the virgin with whom he could thus so easily converse in solitude whenever he would on other days when it was fine he would take for the object of his walk a convent whose existence had been revealed to him by madame bavoil one afternoon he had met her in the square and she had said to him i am going to see the little jesus of prague at the carmelite convent here will you come with me our friend durtal had no liking for these petty pilgrimages made by good women but the idea of going to the carmelite chapel which was unknown to him tempted him to accompany her and she led the way to the rue des Gibelines, behind the railway line and beyond the station they had to cross a bridge that groaned under the weight of rolling trains 
and turned to the right down a path winding between the embankment on one side and on the other thatched huts and old sheds and other houses less poverty-stricken indeed but closed and impenetrable after daybreak madame bavoil led him to where this alley ended under the arch of another bridge overhead was a siding with its signals round and square red and yellow and posts with cast-iron ladders and there always in the same place an engine was being fired or with shrill whistling was moving out backwards madame bavoil stopped at a door under a round arch in an immense wall which not far off ran against the embankment forming an impassable angle it was built of millstone grit of the colour of burnt almonds like that used for the paris reservoirs here dwelt the nuns of saint teresa madame bavoil as being used to convent ways pushed open the door which stood ajar and durtal saw before him a paved walk between strips of river pebbles dividing a garden stocked with fruit trees and geraniums two yews clipped into spheres with a cross on the top of each gave this priestly close a graveyard flavour the path led upwards cut into steps when they reached the top durtal saw a building of brick and plaster pierced with windows guarded by iron bars and a grey door with a wicket bearing these words painted in white o mary conceived without sin pray for us who put our trust in thee he looked about him surprised at seeing nobody hearing nothing but madame bavoil beckoned to him made her way round the house and led the way into a sort of vestibule along which clambered a vine wrapped in swathing and she turned into a little chapel where she knelt down on the flagstones durtal amazed seemed to breathe the melancholy that weighed on this naked sanctuary he was in a building of the end of the eighteenth century in the middle raised on eight steps stood an altar of wax polished wood in the shape of a tomb above it was a shrine covered with a curtain of white brocade and surmounted by a picture of the annunciation a washy painting mounted in a gilt frame to the right and left were two medallions in relief on the one side saint joseph and on the other saint teresa and above the picture close to the ceiling were the arms of the carmelites also in relief a shield with a cross and stars beneath a marquis's coronet from which an arm emerges wielding a sword this was held up by fat little angels the swollen infants of the sculptors of that period and floating in the air was a scroll bearing the motto of the order zelo zelatus sum pro domino deo exercituum finally to the right of the altar the iron grating of the nunnery was seen in an arch in the wall and on the steps of the altar inside the railing for the communicants an annoying statue was emerging from under a gilt canopy the infant christ holding a globe in one hand and raising the other as if to command attention a statue of painted plaster as of some precocious mountebank with homage offered in this deserted chapel of two pots of hydrangea and a floating wick in a crimson glass how cold and dismal is such rococo thought durtal he knelt down on a chair and by degrees his impressions underwent a change this holy place saturated with prayer seemed to let its ice melt and grow balmy it was as though visions percolated through the gate of the cloister and shed warm puffs of air in the place a sense of warmth of soul stole over him of being at home in this solitude the only astonishing thing was to hear in such remote seclusion the whistling of trains and the rumbling of engines durtal went out before madame bavoil had finished the rosary standing in the doorway he saw just opposite the cathedral in profile but with only one spire the old belfry being hidden by the new under a cloudy sky it stood massively solid green and grey 
with its roof of oxidized copper and the pumice-stone hue of the tower it is stupendous said durtal to himself recalling the various aspects it could assume according to the season and the hour as the colour of its complexion varied the whole effect under a clear sky is silvery grey and if the sun lights it up it turns pale golden yellow seen from near its skin is like a nibbled biscuit a silicious limestone eaten into holes at other times when the sun is setting it turns crimson and appears like some vast and exquisite shrine all rose-colour and green and in the twilight it is blue and seems to evaporate into violet and those porches he went on that of the royal front is the least variable it remains of a cinnamon brown halfway up of a dull pumice grey as it rises that on the south side more eaten into by lichens is wearing green while the arches on the north with their stones like concrete full of shells suggest to the fancy a sea grotto left high and dry well our friend are you dreaming said madame bavoil tapping him on the shoulder this carmelite convent you see is a very austere house said she and as you may suppose grace abounds and when durtal murmured what a contrast between this dead spot and the railway that runs past it always in a stir she exclaimed do you suppose that anywhere else you will find side by side such an image of the contemplative life and the active life and what must the nuns think as they hear these continual departures for the outer world those who have grown old in the convent would of course despise these calls these invitations to live the quietude of their spirits must increase as they find themselves protected forever from the perils which the noisy rush of the trains must bring before them every hour of the day and night they will feel more drawn to pray for those whom the chances of life carry away to paris or bring back to the country outcasts from the city but the postulants the novices in the hours of desertion of doubt as to their vocation which must come over them is it not appalling to think of the constantly revived memories of home of friends of all they have left to shut themselves up forever in a convent as each asks herself whether she can endure watching and fasting must it not be a permanent temptation to rebel against being buried alive in a tomb and i cannot help thinking of the appearance as of a reservoir that the style of building gives to this carmel the image is precise for the convent is indeed a reservoir into which god dips to draw forth the good works of love and tears and restore the balance of the scales in which the sins of the world are so heavy madame bavoil smiled a very old carmelite nun said she who had gone into this house before railways were invented died here hardly three months ago she had never been outside the walls and never saw an engine or a railway carriage under what form could she picture to herself the train she heard thundering and shrieking as some diabolical invention no doubt since these conveyances carry us to the wicked but delightful sins of towns replied durtal smiling but it is a curious case nevertheless he was silent and then changing the subject he said and do you still hold communion with heaven madame bavoil no she answered sadly i no longer have any converse or any visions i am deaf and blind god is silent to me she shook her head and after a pause she added speaking to herself such a little thing is enough to displease him if he detects a trace of vanity in the soul on which he shines he departs and as the father tells me the mere fact of having spoken of the special graces vouchsafed to me by jesus proves that i am not humble in short his will be done and you our friend do you still think of taking shelter in a cloister i 
my spirit still craves a truce my soul is but shifting ballast because no doubt you are not honest in your dealings you behave as if you meant to strike a bargain with him that is not the way to set to work what would you do in my place i should be generous i should say to him here i am do with me as thou wilt i give myself unconditionally to thee i ask but one thing help me to love thee and do you suppose that i have not blamed myself for my cowardice of heart they walked on in silence when they reached the cathedral madame bavoil proposed that they should pay a visit to notre dame du pilier they seated themselves in the gloom of the side aisle of the choir where the dark-toned windows were still further obscured by a poorly executed wooden niche in which the virgin as dark as her namesake in the crypt notre dame de souterre stood on a pillar hung round with bunches of metal hearts and little lamps on coronas from the roof frames of tapers on each side shot up little tongues of flame and prostrate women were praying their faces hidden in their hands or upturned to the dark countenance on which the light did not fall it struck durtal that the woes repressed in the morning hours were poured out in the twilight the faithful did not now come for her alone but for themselves each one brought a load of sorrows and opened it before her what anguish of soul was poured out on the stones by these women leaning prostrate against the railing that protected the pillar which each kissed as she rose and the swarthy image carved in the early part of the sixteenth century had listened her face invisible to the same sighs the same complaints from succeeding generations had heard the same cries echoing down the ages forever lamenting the bitterness of life forever expressing the desire all the same for length of days durtal looked at madame bavoil she was praying with closed eyes kneeling on the stones and sitting on her heels her arms hanging her hands clasped how happy was she to be able thus to abstract herself and he tried to force himself to say a prayer quite a short one in the hope that he might succeed in getting to the end without letting his mind wander he began sub tuum under thy protection do we take refuge holy mother of god despise not us what it was really indispensable that he should obtain from the father superior was permission to take his books with him into the monastery and to have at least a few pious toys in his cell ah but how could he explain that any profane literature was necessary in a convent that from an artist's point of view it was requisite to refresh one's memory of the prose of hugo of baudelaire of flaubert i am at sea again said durtal suddenly to himself he tried to brush away these distractions and went on despise not the prayers we put up to thee in our needs and he was off again at a gallop in his dreams even supposing that no difficulty were made about this request the question would still remain as to submitting manuscripts for revision obtaining the imprimatur and how would that be arranged madame bavoil interrupted his wanderings by rising from her knees recalled to himself he hastily finished his prayer but deliver us from all perils glorious and blessed virgin amen and he parted from the housekeeper on the steps of the church going home much vexed by his dissipation of mind he there found a note from the editor of the review which had published his paper on the fra angelico in the louvre asking him for another article this diversion made him glad he thought that this task might perhaps preserve him from vain thoughts of his discomfiture at chartres and his fancy for the cloister what can i send to the review said he to himself since what they chiefly ask for is criticism of religious art i might write some short study of the early german painters i have ample notes made on the spot in the galleries there let us see 
he turned them over lingering to read a notebook containing his impressions of travel a summing up of his remarks on the school of cologne arrested his attention at every page he gave vent to his surprise in more and more vehement exclamations at the false ideas and absurd theories put forward for so many years with regard to these pictures every writer without exception had expatiated each more enthusiastically than the last on the pure and religious art of these early painters speaking of them as seraphic artists who had depicted superhuman beauty white and sylph-like virgins all soul standing out like celestial visions against backgrounds of gold durtal prejudiced by the unanimity of this universal praise expected to find almost impalpably fair angels flemish madonnas etherealized in some sort having shed their husk of flesh rapturous memlings with eyes full of heaven and bodies that had almost ceased to be and he remembered his dismay on entering the galleries of the colonial museum in point of fact his disenchantment had begun as soon as he stepped out of the train carried in the course of a night from paris to that city he had made his way through narrow streets where every basement window exhaled the fragrance of sauerkraut and he had reached the cathedral square beautified by farina's shop signs where in front of the famous don he had been obliged to confess that this facade this exterior was a huge piece of patchwork a delusion every part of it was furbished up and the church sheltered no sculpture under its portals it was symmetrical built by peg and line its rigid forms its hard outlines were an offence the interior was better in spite of the vulgar blaze the cheap fireworks of ignoble modern glass and there in a chapel near the choir might be seen for a consideration the most famous picture of the german school the dombild by stefan lochner a triptych representing the adoration of the magi on the central panel with st ursula on the left-hand shutter and st gerion on the right durtal's consternation had risen to the highest pitch the work was thus arranged against a gold background a virgin crowned red-haired bullet-headed dressed in blue held on her knees an infant blessing the kings two kneeling on each side of the throne one an old fellow with a short beard like a retired officer and hair curled like shavings over his ears was sumptuously arrayed in crimson velvet brocaded with gold his hands clasped the other a dandy with long hair and a large beard dressed in green shot with gold and trimmed with fur held up a golden cup and behind each other figures were standing flourishing their swords and standards in cavalier attitudes and posing for the public thinking much more of the visitors than of the virgin this then was the type of madonna of the supersensual and sublimated virgins of cologne this one was puffy redundant chubby she had the neck of a heifer and flesh like cream or hasty pudding that quivers when it is touched jesus whose expression was the only interesting feature of the picture a certain manly gravity that was shown without any disfigurement of the character of childhood was also round and well fed and the scene took place on a lawn strewn with flowers primroses violets and strawberries painted in fine stipple with the touch of a miniaturist you might call this picture what you pleased the execution smooth and wavy and cold in spite of the brilliant colours was a finished piece of work brilliant dexterous but not religious it betrayed a decadence the work was laboured complicated pretty but it was in no sense that of an early master this common squat virgin fat and pudgy was simply a good german girl well dressed and squarely seated but she could never have been the ecstatic mother of god then these kneeling and standing men were not in prayer there was no devotion in this picture the personages were all thinking of something else 
folding their hands and looking round at the painter who was depicting them as to the wings it were better to say nothing about them what was to be thought of the saint ursula with a prominent forehead like a cupping-glass and a burly stomach surrounded by other creatures as shapeless as herself their squab noses poking out of the bladders of lard that did duty for their faces and durtal found the same impression of insensibility to mysticism in the picture gallery there he could study stefan lochner's precursor master wilhelm the first early german painter whose name is known and in this again he found the look of elaborate chubbiness as in the dombilt wilhelm's virgin was indeed less vulgar than the virgin of the cathedral but in feeling she was equally insipid overfinished and even more simperingly pretty she was the triumph of delicate pertness and had the look of a stage chambermaid with her hair crimped over her forehead and the child twisted into an unnatural attitude while he caressed his mother's chin turned his face round to be the better seen in short this virgin was neither human nor divine she had not even the too realistic touch of lochner and could no more than the other have been the chosen mother of god it is indeed strange that these very early painters should have begun where painting as an art ends in mere finish and smoothness men who from the first put sugar in their new wine and betray their lack of energy of enthusiasm of simplicity while no faith projects itself from their work they are the very converse of every other school for everywhere else in italy flanders holland burgundy pictures began by being clumsy and unfinished barbarous and hard but at least ardent and pious as he studied the other pictures in this collection the mass of anonymous work the paintings ascribed to the master of the liversburg passion and the master of the st bartholomew durtal came to the conclusion that the school of colonia had known nothing of mysticism till it had felt the influence of the flemish painters it had needed a van eyck and the yet more exquisite roger van de weyden to breathe the air of heaven into these craftsmen they thus had changed their manner had imitated the ascetic innocence of the flemings had assimilated their tender piety and simplicity and in their turn had sung the glory of the mother and mourned over the sufferings of the son in ingenuous hymns this school may be thus summed up said durtal it is the triumph of padding and puffing the apotheosis of fatness and sheen and this has nothing to do with christian art in the true sense of the word if we want to understand the whole personal character of german religious painting we must study other schools than this the only one ever spoken of and always with praise we must turn to the less familiar schools of franconia and swabia there we find the very opposite as art it is savage and rough but it lives it weeps nay it cries aloud but it prays we must look at the works of these unkempt geniuses such as grunewald whose christs rebellious and wrathful grind their teeth or zeitblom whose veronica's veil in the berlin museum is unpleasant no doubt the angels have black leather crosses on their breasts and the saviour's head is terrible horrible still there is such energy in the work such decision such crudity that the very sincerity of its ugliness is impressive certainly durtal went on even setting apart such daring painters as grunewald i prefer many an unknown artist whose work is strange rather than beautiful but at any rate mystical to the honey and lard of cologne for instance an anonymous painter who was to be found in the grand duke's collection at gotha as the author of one of those curious mass scenes which in the middle ages were called the mass of st gregory wherefore we know not durtal turned over his notebook and read through the description he had recorded of this work which he remembered as an instance of a sort of pious brutality the picture was set out on a gold background 
a little above the altar but scarcely higher a wooden sarcophagus a sort of square bath was seen with a board over it from end to end on this plank bridge sat the christ his legs hidden in this tomb holding a cross his face was haggard and hollow he was crowned with green thorns and his emaciated body was spotted all over by the ends of the scourges as if the wounds were flea bites over him in the air floated the instruments of the passion the nails the sponge a hammer and a spear to the left on a very small scale were the busts of jesus and of judas near a pedestal on which lay three rows of pieces of silver in front of this altar adoring this truly hideous saviour painted in accordance with the prophetic descriptions of isaiah and david were pope gregory on his knees his hands clasped a grave cardinal whose hands were hidden under his robe and a rough-looking bishop standing in a dark green cloak embroidered with gold he held a cross it was enigmatical and it was sinister but those austere and commanding faces were alive there was a stamp of faith indomitable and resolute in those countenances it was harsh to the palate the roughest wine of mysticism but at least it was not the mawkish syrup of the early cologne painters ah that mystical breath by which the soul of the artist becomes incorporate in the colour on a canvas in the lines of carved stone in written words and speaks to the souls of those who can understand how few have had it thought durtal closing his notes of travel in germany it may be seen in the very bunglers among painters in italy setting aside angelico whose works reveal his saintly spirit and are the coloured image of his secret soul and his pupil benozzo gozzoli the last of the mediaeval painters if we also accept his precursors cimabue the survivors of the rigid byzantines giotto who thawed those fixed and puzzling figures orcagna simone di martino taddeo gaddi all the very early painters how much dexterous trickery do we find among the great painters mimicking the religious note and producing a deceptive imitation by sheer sham the italians of the renaissance above all others excelled in this spurious piety and those are comparatively rare who like botticelli were honest enough to confess that their virgins were venuses and their venuses virgins the berlin gallery where he is to be seen in some exquisite and triumphant examples shows this very plainly we see the two versions of the type side by side first we have a wonderful venus nude with pure gold hair brought round her body by one hand standing out in her white flesh against a black background gazing with limpid grey eyes liquid with the colour of stagnant water and edged with lids like a young rabbit's pink lids she must have wept much and her disconsolate look her drooping attitude suggests some faraway thought of the unsatisfied weariness of the senses and the intolerable unrest of horrible desires that nothing can satisfy and not far away is a virgin very like her indeed her very self with her sensitive slightly upturned nose her lips like a folded clover leaf her brackish eyes her pink lids her golden hair her greenish complexion her strongly moulded frame and large hands the countenance is the same fretful and weary it is evident that the same model sat for both they are both purely pagan for the venus well and good but the virgin it may be added that in this picture a row of torch-bearing angels makes the result if possible even less christian for these delightful creatures with their ambiguous smiles and supple grace have all the dangerous attraction of wicked angels they are ganymedes borrowed from mythology not from the bible how far we are from god with this paganism of botticelli's said durtal to himself 
what a difference between this painter and that roger van der weyden whose nativity is the glory of one of the adjoining rooms in that magnificent old museum of berlin ay that nativity he had only to turn to his notes to see it plainly before him painted as a triptych on the right wing was an old man in front of some wandering bystanders burning incense to the virgin who is visible through an open window above a landscape in distant perspective with avenues undulating to the horizon while a woman her head dressed in a muffler that is almost a turban touches the old man's shoulder with one hand and raises the other with an indescribable gesture of surprise and joy her face expressive of ecstasy on the left wing kneel the three kings their hands uplifted their eyes raised to heaven contemplating an infant beaming from the heart of a star nothing can be more beautiful than these three transfigured faces and these are praying with all their heart never troubling themselves about us still these two divisions are but accessory to the central subject which they complement and which is thus arranged in the middle in front of a sort of ruined palace or columnar cowshed without a roof the virgin kneels in prayer before the babe to the right the donor the chevalier bladelin is seen also kneeling and on the left saint joseph holding a lighted taper gazes down on jesus there are besides six little angels three below at the door of the stable and three above in the air this is the whole scene it is noteworthy that the goldsmith's work the mingled splendour of oriental hangings the brocades hemmed with fur and strewn with gems of which van eyck and memling made such free use to array their figures of the virgin and the donors are not to be seen in this panel the textures are rich and heavy but have none of the gorgeous colouring of the silks of bruges or the carpets of persia roger van der weyden seems intentionally to have reduced the whole setting of the scene to its simplest expression and yet while using an unaffectedly sober key of colour he has produced a masterpiece of pure and lucid harmony mary with no diadem no jewelled band not a bracelet or a gem her head simply crowned by a few golden rays is seen in a white dress closed to the throat and a blue cloak of which the ample folds lie on the ground the sleeves of her underdress fastened at the wrists are of a rich blue violet more nearly black than red her face is indescribable of superhuman loveliness with long red-gold hair the brow high the nose straight the lips full the chin small but words are of no avail what cannot be described as the expression of candour and sadness the tide of love that rises to those downcast eyes as she looks down on the tiny helpless babe round whose head there is a rosy nimbus starred with gold never was there a more unearthly and yet more living virgin neither van eyck with his rather vulgar and never beautiful heads nor memling more tender and refined no doubt but limited to his ideal of a woman with a round forehead and a face shaped like a kite wide above and pointed below ever achieved the elegance of form or the purity of woman made divine by love a being who even apart from her surroundings and bereft of the attributes by which she is recognizable could be none other than the mother of god by her side the chevalier bladelin dressed all in black with his equine type of face his shaven cheeks his dignity at once priestly and princely is lost in contemplation far away from the world he is praying in good earnest and st joseph opposite to him represented as a bald old man with a short beard and wearing a red cloak comes forward as if amazed at his happiness and scarce daring to believe that the moment has come when he may adore the messiah born at last he smiles deferentially mildly stepping with the almost clumsy care of an old man who would fain be serviceable but fears to intrude to make the whole thing more than perfect 
above the figure of pierre bladelin extends a wondrous landscape cut across by the high street of middelburg the town founded by this nobleman a street bordered by castellated houses with battlements and church towers and vanishing in a country scene lighted up by a clear sky a blue spring day above st joseph a meadow and woods sheep and shepherds and three exquisite angels in robes one of pinkish yellow one of purple like a campanula and one of greenish citron hue three really ethereal beings having no relationship with the pertly innocent pages invented by the renaissance if we sum up the whole impression produced by this work we are led to the conclusion that mystical art still dwelling on earth and not restricted to scenes in heaven as angelico had chosen to limit it in his coronation of the virgin has produced in roger van der weyden's triptych the purest effluence of prayer to be found in painting never has the nativity been so gloriously set forth nor it may be said more artlessly and simply expressed the masterpiece of the christmas festival is at berlin just as the masterpiece of the deposition is at antwerp in the agonized and magnificent work of quentin Matisse. the early flemish painters were the greatest that ever lived said durtal to himself and this roger van der weyden or roger de la pasture as he is sometimes called crushed between the fame of van eyck and of memling as gerard david was later and hugo van der goes eustace of ghent and dirk boots was in my opinion superior to them all and after them what a falling away theatrical crucifixions the fleshy coarseness of rubens which van dyck tried to mitigate by making it leaner we must leap into holland to find the mystic accent once more and it reveals itself in the soul of a judaizing protestant under an aspect so mysterious and eccentric that at first sight we hesitate feeling ourselves as it were to make sure that we are not mistaken in regarding this as religious art nor need we go to amsterdam to verify the truth of this impression it is enough to go to see the disciples at emmaus in the louvre durtal started on this theme fell into a reverie over rembrandt's strange conception of christian aesthetics it is evident that in his mode of depicting gospel scenes this painter still exhales a breath of the old testament his church even if he had meant to paint it as it was in his day would still be a synagogue so strong is the odour of the jew in all his work he is possessed by the imagery the prophecies all the solemn and barbarous side of the east and this we can understand when we know that he was the companion of rabbis whose portraits he has left us and the friend of manasseh ben israel one of the most learned men of his age on the other hand we may admit that this protestant dutchman engrafted on this stock of cabalistic learning and mosaic ceremonial an attentive and assiduous study of the old testament for he possessed a bible which was sold by auction with his furniture to pay his debts this would be enough to justify his choice of subjects and the composition of his pictures but the riddle remains unsolved of the results achieved by an artist whom we cannot conceive of after all as praying before he would paint like angelico and roger van der weyden be this as it may he with the eye of a visionary with his serious but fervid art his genius for concentration for getting a spot of the essence of sunlight into the heart of darkness has accomplished great results and in his biblical scenes has spoken a language which no one before him had even attempted to lisp is not this picture of the pilgrims to emmaus a typical instance of this pull the work to pieces it ought to seem dull monotonous voiceless as a composition it is utterly common we see a sort of cellar of stonework a table facing us behind which sits jesus his feet bare his lips colourless his complexion muddy his raiment of a pinkish grey 
he is breaking the bread while to his right an apostle clutching his napkin looks at him fancies he recognizes him and on the left another disciple quite sure that he knows him clasps his hands and this one utters a cry of joy that we can hear a fourth figure with an intelligent profile sees nothing but attentive to his duties waits on the guests it is a meal of humble folk in a prison the colours are limited to a key of sad greys and browns excepting in the case of the man who twists his napkin whose sleeves are thick with a vermilion like red sealing wax while the others might be painted with dust and pitch these are the literal facts but they are not the truth for everything is transfigured the head of christ is luminous merely by the way he looks up a pale radiance fills the room this jesus ugly as he is with lips like death asserts himself by a gesture a look of ineffable beauty as the murdered son of a god we stand dumbfounded not even trying to understand for this work stamped with transcendent naturalism is beyond and apart from painting no one can copy or reproduce it after rembrandt durtal went on there is an irremediable decay of religious feeling in painting the seventeenth century has not left a single picture in which there is a genuine stamp of manly devotion excepting indeed in spain at the time when saint teresa and saint john of the cross flourished there then the mystical realism of its painters produced some fiercely fervid works and durtal recalled a picture by zurbaran he had seen and admired in the gallery at lyon saint francis of assisi standing upright in a habit of grey serge the cowl over his head his hands hidden in his sleeves the face looked as if it had been moulded or chiselled out of cinders the mouth was open livid below ecstatic eyes as white as if they had been blinded it was a wonder how this corpse of which nothing was left but the bones could hold itself up and terror came over the beholder as he thought of the excessive maceration and overwhelming penances that must have exhausted that frame and seamed that face this painting was the evident outcome of the relentless and terrible mysticism of st john of the cross the art of the rack the delirium tremens of divine intoxication here on earth ay but what a passion of adoration what a voice of love stifled by anguish found utterance in this canvas as to the eighteenth century it was not worth a thought that century was the age of the belly and the bathroom as soon as art tried to touch the church it only made a washing basin into a holy water stoop in our own time again there is nothing to note overbeck ingres flandrin all sorry jades harnessed willy-nilly to religious tasks by commissions from the pious in the church of saint sulpice de la croix extinguishes all the feeble art that surrounds him but his sense of catholic art is null in truth faith is now dormant and without that no mystical work is possible at the present moment signol is dead but olivier merson is left vacuity all along the line we need not take into account the got-up absurdities and paintings to puzzle rosicrucian simpletons nor again the feeble imagery of the wealthy idlers or the worthy youths who fancy that if they paint a woman larger than life that makes her mystical silence would befit the subject only that unluckily a well-meaning publisher was struck by the idea of mobilizing the clerical forces to hail james tissot as an evangelical painter his life of christ is one of the least religious works conceivable for in fact it might be regarded as a hesitating paraphrase of the life of jesus as narrated by that cheerful apostate and terrible jester renan the firm of mam has completed this artist's treason by the issue of these melancholy chromolithographs under the pretext of realism of information acquired on the spot 
of authenticated costumes all extremely doubtful since we should be forced to conclude that nothing has changed in palestine in the course of nineteen centuries m tissot has given us the basest mascarade that any one has yet dared present as an illustration of the scriptures look at that disreputable trull a street slut tired of shouting this way to the boats till she falls fainting this is the magnificat the blessed virgin that epileptic boy with outstretched arms is jesus in the temple look at the baptism the pharisee and the publican the massacre of the innocents the saint peter walking on the sea the magdalene at the feet of jesus the ridiculous consumatum est look at them all these prints are matchless for platitude effeteness poverty of spirit they might have been designed by the first comer and are painted with muck wine sauce mud certainly the hapless catholics have no luck when once they try to meddle with what they do not understand their incurable lack of artistic sense is once more displayed in this attempt over which the whole world of art and letters is laughing in their sleeve then is there nothing absolutely nothing to the credit side for the church exclaimed durtal and yet some attempts at ascetic art have been made in this century a few years since the benedictine house at boiron in bavaria tried to revive ecclesiastical art and durtal remembered having looked through some reproductions of mural frescoes painted by these monks in a tower at monte cassino these frescoes had gone back to the types of assyria and egypt with their crowned gods their sphinx-headed angels having fan-shaped wings behind their heads their old men with plaited beards playing on stringed instruments and then the friars of boiron had given up this hieratic style in which it must be owned they succeeded but ill and in certain later works especially in a volume of the way of the cross published at freiburg in breisgau they had adopted a strange medley of other styles the roman soldiers who figured in those pages were huge firemen a bequest from the schools of guerin and david and then unexpectedly in certain plates where the magdalene and the holy women appeared a younger spirit seemed to prevail among the commonplace groups greek female types derived from the renaissance pretty and elegant evidently imported from the works of the pre-raphaelites and strongly recalling walter crane's illustrations thus the ideal at boiron had developed into an alloy of the french art of the first empire and contemporary english work some of these compositions were all but laughable that of the ninth station to mention one christ lying at full length on his face and being pulled up by a rope tied to his bound hands it looked as if he were learning to swim still but for feeble and vulgar incidents clumsy and obvious details what strange scenes suddenly rose before his mind distinct from the mass veronica on her knees before jesus was really distracted with grief really fine the borrowed or copied figures of the other persons represented disappeared even in the least original of these compositions the coarse unsatisfactory utterances of these monks spoke an almost eloquent language and this because intense faith and fervour lurked in the work a breath had passed over those faces and they were alive the emotion the voice of prayer was felt in the silence of this conventional crowd this way of the cross was matchless from this point of view monastic piety had introduced an unexpected element giving evidence of the mysterious power it has at its command infusing a personal emotion a peculiar aroma into a work which without it would never indeed have existed these benedictines had suggested the sensation of kneeling worship and the very fragrance of the gospel as artists of wider scope had failed in doing their attempt however had begotten no following and at this day the school is almost dead producing nothing but feeble prints for old women designed by the lay brothers 
how indeed could it have been anything but stillborn the idea of doing for the west what manuel pausolinos did for the east of eliminating study from nature imposing an uniform ritual of colour and line of compelling every artistic temperament to squeeze itself into the same mould shows an absolute misapprehension of art in the mind of the man who attempted it the system was bound to end in ankylosis in the paralysis of painting and this in fact was the result at about the same time with these religious an unknown artist living in the country and never exhibiting in paris was painting pictures for churches and convents working for the glory of god and refusing all remuneration from priests or monks durtal knew his pictures and they had suggested much the same reflections as those aroused by the benedictine paintings of boiron at first sight paul borel's work is neither cheerful nor attractive the phrases he used might often have made a partisan of the modern smile and besides to judge his work fairly it is indispensable to get rid of part of it to refuse to see anything but that which has evaded the too familiar formulas of commonplace unction and then what a spirit of manly fervency of ardent piety filled and upheld it his most important paintings are buried in the chapel of the dominican school at Oulain, in a remote corner of the suburbs of lyon among the ten subjects that decorate the nave we find moses striking the rock the disciples at emmaus the healing of one possessed of one born blind and of tobit but in spite of the calm energy shown in these frescoes they are disappointing by reason of their general heaviness and of the sleepy and unwonted effect of colour not till we reach the choir beyond the communion railing do we find works of a quite different kind of art above some magnificent figures of saints of the order of friars preacher amazing in the power of prayer the essence of saintliness that they diffuse there too durtal had found two large compositions one of the virgin bestowing the rosary on saint dominic and the other of saint thomas aquinas kneeling before an altar on which stands a crucifix radiating light never since the middle ages had monks been so understood and so painted never had a more impetuous fount of soul been revealed under so stern a casing of features borel was the painter of the monastic saints his art by nature rather torpid soared up with them as soon as he tried to paint them at versailles again even better perhaps than in the chapel of the Oulain seminary the sincere and deeply religious work of borel might be studied at the entrance to the chapel of the augustine sisters in that town of which borel had painted the nave and the choir there stood a figure of an abbess of the fourteenth century saint Clare of montefalcone in the black robes of an augustinian nun against the stone walls of her cell an open book on one side of the figure and a brass lamp on the other somewhat behind her on a table in that face bent over the crucifix she was pressing to her lips in that countenance at once sweet and hungering in the movement of the arms closely folded over her bosom raised to her face and themselves forming a cross he had seen the complete absorption of a bride the rapt ecstatic joy of the purest love and at the same time something of the anxious affection of a mother cherishing the christ she kissed and seemed to shelter in her bosom like a suffering child and this was all set forth without any theatrical attitude or forced gestures with perfect simplicity this saint Clare has no ravings no outcries like saint magdalene of pazzi she does not soar with the flight of divine intoxication the mystic possession manifests itself in a mute rapture her transports are controlled and her inebriety is grave she does not diffuse herself but opens her soul and jesus as he enters in stamps her with his likeness impresses her with the image of the crucifix she holds and of which the impress was found graven on her heart when it was examined after her death 
this was the most remarkable religious painting of our time and it was achieved with no borrowing from the early painters no trickery of awkward attitudes supported by iron bars no affectations no artifice and what a devout catholic what an emotionally pious artist must the man be who could produce such a work after him the rest was silence among the religious youth of today no one is to be found equal to the presentment of church subjects only one said durtal thinking it over gave any hope of such powers for he stands apart from the rest and at any rate has talent he rose and went to turn over his portfolios picking out the lithographs by charles du lac this artist had begun with a series of landscapes idealizing nature at first with a timid hand extravagantly large pools and trees with leaves that looked like wild wigs tossed by the wind then he had produced a rendering in black and white of a canticle of the sun or of creation and had poured out in nine plates printed in different states of tone that effluence of mystical feeling which in his first set was still latent and undecided the rather hackneyed dictum that a landscape is a state of mind was strictly appropriate to this work the artist had stamped his faith on these views studied no doubt from nature but seen it was evident not by the eyes alone but by a captivated spirit singing in the open air daniel's hymn and david's psalm as interpreted by saint francis and repeating after them the thought that all the elements shall sing to the glory of him who created them among these plates two were genuinely inspiring that with the title stella matutina and the other with the words spiritus sancte deus but another the broadest the most decisive and the simplest of them all bearing the title sol justitiae seemed best of all to set forth the individual sympathies of the artist it was thus composed a light remote translucent distance was lost in infinitude a peninsula a desert waste of waters with ribs of shore tongues of land planted with trees repeated in the mirror of the lake on the horizon the sun half set cast its beams reflected by the sheet of waters that was all but amazing placidity and calm a sense of fullness was shed over all the idea of justice to which that of mercy answers as its inevitable echo was symbolized in the serene solemnity of this expanse lighted up by the glow of a kindly season and mild atmosphere durtal drew back to get a more complete view of the work as a whole there is no denying it said he this artist has the instinct the subtle sense of aerial space of expanse he understands the soul of calm waters flowing under a vast sky and then this print diffuses emanations as from a catholic which steal into us slowly soak into our heart and by this time said he closing the portfolio i am far enough away from the original matter and none the nearer to any article i can write for the review a paper on the primitive german painters would indeed be quite in its line yes but what an undertaking i should have to work up my notes and after dealing with meister wilhelm stefan lochner and zeitblom to speak of bernard striegel an almost unknown painter of albert durer holbein martin schoengauer hans balding birkmeyer and i know not how many more i should have to account for whatever may have survived of orthodoxy in germany after the reformation to mention at any rate from the lutheran point of view that extraordinary painter Cranach whose adams are bearded apollos of the complexion of a red indian and his eve's slender chubby-faced courtesans with bullet heads little shrimp's eyes lips moulded out of red pomatum breasts like apples close under the neck long slim legs elegantly formed with the calf high up and large flat feet with thick ankles such a treatise would carry me too far 
it is amusing to dream over but not to write i should do better to seek a less panoramic a compacter subject but what well i will see later he concluded getting up for madame mesura jovially announced that dinner was ready end of section twelve